0: Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from listeners, people who love the show enough to donate at our website, thebittersweetlife.net, or through Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Support also comes from Italy Beyond the Obvious, offering travel consulting and planning services for your next Italian vacation, italybeyondtheobvious.com. And if you run a business, a podcast, or any other kind of artistic endeavor and you want a shout out from us on our show, support us on Patreon at the $50 a month level. If you've never heard this show before, glad you found us. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm a longtime public radio producer and host who five years ago stepped off the path, quit my job, and moved to Rome. That was very out of character for me. But that's where this show begins, and where we begin exploring what happens when you take a risk. What happens when you decide to begin again? Or, what happens when you move abroad? Or even just away? Together we hope to discover what possibilities life is still offering us. My co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and an expat living in Rome for the last decade. She dreamed of moving to Rome. And so she went. No real plan other than to try. We're childhood friends too. We met on the school bus in the 6th grade. Don't be afraid to start way back at the beginning of the show. That's when we're on the streets of Rome. And subscribe and join us today, too. We'll keep you in good company, and you might just change your life. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And Tiffany, you've been away for a couple weeks. I know, I've been, been? <laughs> I've been everywhere.
1: I've been traveling the world. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: My super exciting life. Yes, so Tiffany is in Rome. I am in Seattle. I hear that Rome has been getting an unseasonably nice fall this year. We did. We did. That's over. Oh, it's over. That's over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. October
1: was incredible. Most beautiful October I think I've ever seen. Sunny, warm, couple days of rain, but very rare. Just like really nice weather, like in the upper 60s, low 70s, even beautiful. And now it's just
0: constant rain and heavy rain. So, Aww. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how's it up in Seattle? Well, here in Seattle, it has been also very nice, actually. Oh. There are mushrooms everywhere. Do you remember Seattle being full of mushrooms? Um, <laughs> I don't know that I noticed. It's wet. It's wet. Right. And it hasn't yeah. been raining that much, which is great. But it's coming. They always say that. It's coming. Don't worry. It's coming. <laughs> but that's not what we're here to talk about today. No. Here on no. Thanksgiving week. A week when many of you listening are from the United States, but will not be heading home. You will be staying wherever you are in the world. Hmm. We thought we'd talk a little bit about, I don't know, how, how, how should we frame this? <laughs> well, missing
1: out, the inevitable missing out that comes along with being an expat, whether that is a holiday or an important occasion or
0: missing someone in particular. So yeah, so there is... Um, it's interesting cuz we've talked for weeks kind of offline about this and and we've kind of avoided doing another show on grief because we've had so many and at this point we're so sick of hearing Katie cry and we're and so in the month of October we really did sort of stray away from talking about sort of the hinge point of what we want to talk about today. So I moved to Seattle in July, and one of the very first big events that happened when I got back was that a childhood friend of mine passed away of cancer, and it was a fight that we knew was going on, but he was very positive that he was going to beat it, Uh, so confident, in fact, that I think a lot of us didn't worry as much as we might have Mm -hmm. he was always such a young healthy guy very strong guy and a very like of the world in the moment guy so the kind of person that you can't even imagine not surviving do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and he was a firefighter and definitely they believe contracted the type of cancer he had from his job and so I get to Seattle, and at the end of September, he goes into hospice care, and then he dies on October 4th. And for all of us who have known him since we were kids, probably age 14 years old, it was devastating and, and like life-rocking, where you just can't imagine that person not being around anymore. And so I, I knew at the time that there was no way I would be able to talk about it, not without you know you not even being able to understand me because I couldn't wouldn't be able to catch my breath you know it was just awful and then like a few weeks later was his funeral and his funeral as you might imagine was massive the biggest ordeal I've ever seen in part because He was well-loved by many people, and so it had this kind of weird high school reunion aspect to it. Mm -hmm. He had been involved in a lot of things, both with the fire department and involved in a lot of, like, mission work and stuff. And so he had all these other groups of people that came. And because he had died on the job, or because of his job, he was awarded a Purple Heart. And when you're a lieutenant firefighter and you win a Purple Heart for your service, there's all these rituals that get put into play. So... Uh, there was a massive procession of police and fire vehicles. There were helicopters. There was two ladder trucks that were crossing each other on the entrance with a giant American flag hanging down. There were all these rituals within the ceremony that they had to do, including one I could play that was, is just so devastating, um, where they, they do the final call of that person. Maybe I will play it Um, where, you know, as if they're on like a radio operator calls them, calls to Lieutenant, you know, Uh Lieutenant Robinson and calls them into service and then tells their whole career and then puts them out of service. You know, which if you can imagine was awful. Um, Anyway, so what I wanted to talk about without getting too into the details, but maybe I'll just play that so you guys can hear it and you'll get it.
1: Lieutenant Kirk Robinson started by a professional fire service career with the City of Boston Fire Department in April 2001. Lieutenant Robinson served as dignity and honor due to the rank of fire lieutenant on October 14, 2017. On October 4, 2018, Lieutenant Kirk Robinson died in the line of duty. The Boston President will wish to thank Lieutenant Kirk Robinson for 18.5 years of faithful service to the City of Boston. Now we thank Fire Secretary Tanning joining the community. The 10-11 says will be missed, and no will forever be in our hearts. Goodbye drive 21-3.
0: Okay, so without getting too in the weeds of the the grief of it, what I, what was interesting about it to me from the aspect of this show was that um, the last time we talked about grief in a major way on the show was when my friend Susan was killed in a car wreck, and she was over in South Carolina. So that experience for me was hard, but also hard in part because there was nobody else around that really knew her, you know, her and her husband had moved away. And me and her other best friend from Seattle didn't live in the same city anymore. And so it was really just sort of being alone with this horrible fact and not having anything that you can do. There's nobody to talk to. And in this case, I think my initial reaction was to, to feel that same way, like nobody will understand this. And then a a friend of mine, a very wise friend of mine suggested, no, you're in a city where a lot of people feel the same way about what happened. And what if you were to get together the group of friends from high school that used to hang out with him, even though some of those people I hadn't seen in a decade, probably, if not longer. And so I, I just texted all those people. And it was during that in between period when he was in hospice, but he wasn't dead yet. And, and we all gathered together at this one restaurant on Mercer Island where he went to school and just talked about him but also got caught up about our lives and everybody bought a stack of photographs of him, you know, we just sort of spent that time together. And then at the funeral, there was a whole other group of people, like the second tier, like for instance, our mutual friend, Suzanne, had known him since elementary school. But she wasn't as close to him as I was. Like she hadn't kept in touch with him as much as I had in the intervening years. But she came, as did a whole bunch of other people whose names you would recognize, but nobody listening would. So I'll just leave them out. But so there's all these people there. And it's just like two hours of the most exhausting grief. By the end of it, we were all so tired. And so, um, you know, I had a terrible headache. But it was so interesting to be there, to have everyone there, you know, to have Suzanne looking over at me and making sure that I'm not going to just pass out, you know, or like, because you get so lightheaded too, putting her hand on my arm or, you know, all those things. Or like being able to go out to dinner afterwards. I don't know. It just made me, for all the difficulty it was to decide to move away from San Francisco and to orchestrate it so it actually worked. It made me so grateful that we were here By the time that that happened, that it it didn't happen while I was there. So I would have had to deal with it by myself. And I don't even know that dealing with it altogether, it didn't, certainly didn't make it go away. Like the next day I felt completely hollowed out and empty, but I don't know. Yeah. Just gratitude of how great it can be sometimes to, to be with these people that just know. Mm -hmm. And it made me um, think about you too, because when we talked about the death of your father, way back when I was in New Orleans and I remember thinking then you had gone to visit him but how hard to not be right there you know in that moment and even if you had lived in the United States you probably wouldn't have been living in the same town as him but you could have at least gone yeah. fast fast you know yeah I mean it's it,
1: ugh, it's I can't even put words to it that whole situation because I feel feel like part of me never got closure over my father's death because I wasn't there. Now I did go to his celebration of life, which was about five or six months after his death, but that was really what it was supposed to be. It really was a celebration of life. And as wonderful as that kind of a thing can be, I do feel like I miss something not being at the actual memorial, which is a more somber event, saying goodbye. And I remember when I was in the States, the last time I saw him, I was talking to one of my sisters, my probably my most practical sister, who's kind of always the one who takes on these kind of decisions and she's really good at that. And she said, now listen, we all know the dad is gonna die soon. We're gonna have a memorial and we're gonna have a celebration of life sometime later. Don't feel like you have to go to both because I know it's gonna create hardship for you. I think because she said that, I, f- I kind of, I hate, this sounds horrible, but I kind of feel like I was let off the hook. Like I didn't have to drop everything, buy an over same night ticket and fly back. And I just thought, okay, well, I'll be at the celebration of life and that'll be better and it'll be well-organized and I'll be able to make plans in advance and take care of Aurelio and whatever, whatever he needs. And I'm glad that I was able to do that. But on the other hand, I do feel like the whole time of his passing, Immediately after, and then the memorial was incredibly isolating because you walk down the street and nobody knows. I mean, even if you're in your own city, you walk down the street, nobody knows you just lost your parent. But it's worse when you're over here. Like, you're, you're, you're you know, my in laws knew about it, and of course, they were very nice about it, and of course, my husband, but it's just not the same. And you know, those people, they don't, you know, my in laws, they met him one time at my wedding. There was a lot going on. You know, they don't know him. I can tell my colleagues at work, you know, but they don't know him. I don't have anyone that really knows him who I could sit and talk with. And, you know, I had a WhatsApp chat with my sisters. We talked a lot on that, but it's not the same. I missed out on that kind of thing that I think that that get together with your friends must have been very therapeutic for you. I wish I had had something like that. I got it a little bit delayed when i went back for the, the memorial but but then i lost two more people in my life on the heels of my father and it was really the same thing we don't want to go too deep in into you know depressed i mean you can <laughs> if you want to go ahead <laughs> i mean I, like you said we've had so much we've talked so much about grief and about loss lately but yeah it's very hard i think it's one of the hardest things about being an expat is when you're starting to get a little bit older you're not 20 and you know your parents are starting to get older or you know might be dying or you know other family members to be over here to be so far away and to know that you can't really just drop everything especially if you have a a parent who has like a chronic illness because you can't drop everything several times a year (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. you might be able to do it once uh it's just not practical so it's it's very hard it's it's indescribably hard and some people move back. Some people are like, I can't, I can't take this. I'm moving back. Or you know, you have one parent left and you're like, well, I don't want this to happen with my other parents. So maybe I'm just
0: going to move back. Do you remember what you did? Maybe not with your father, but when your sister died? Or what did you do if, to market or anything? Or is there anything? You mean that day?
1: Yeah. When my father died, that day I didn't go into work. And I think Claudia took the day off as well. And we just went out for lunch. And I know that might sound really kind of bizarre, but it was, it was actually a beautiful day in October. We went out for lunch and we sat in a piazza and we didn't do anything specific. I think we probably, I probably went into a church and lit a candle for him. I light candles every time I go into any church. I light candles for all three of my recently past relatives, my father, my sister, and my nephew. And that's something, but I don't have this really wonderful tradition that you and Derek have of having these sort of rituals I really like that but I don't do that in my own life but it's something that I that I like but no we just went out and oh it's so much of the time though you just want to sit on the couch mm-hmm. you know with the blanket and, and maybe even a video and just pretend like none of it's happening
0: yeah <laughs> it's not really a tradition you hate to have this be a tradition but I remember that when my my grandmother was dying back when Derek and I were fairly new And it felt so much like there was nothing you could do but wait. That kind of in-between waiting period when, you know, my grandmother just sort of decided that she was like, you know what, I'm good. You know, let's not try to do anything else. And she basically just put herself in hospice care. And, And we knew as soon as she did that, the time was ticking down, you know. And in that waiting period, you just, there is not much you can do. I wrote her a goodbye letter. My dad read it to her. And then we just sort of built, like, a table with pictures of her all over it and just tried as best we could to keep a candle burning on that table until she died. And we did the same for my friend, Kirk, when he was, from the moment he went into hospice care to October 4th, tried to keep that candle burning um, the whole time. And in that case, too, I had to write a goodbye letter, which is... Uh, I highly recommend this. By the way, Pe- people who are listening, if you if you have a person who is in hospice and you can't see them for whatever reason, or they're not well enough to see anybody, they don't want to see anybody, you can in this modern age, if there's anyone with them, write them an email, and say goodbye. And it it sucks, and it's a hard letter to write, but it is it is good in its own way. You know, it gives you a chance to say goodbye. So um, that's a becoming a ritual. Mm. I mean, hopefully, you know, in these moments, I don't know if you felt this way with your father or your sister and your nephew, and and since we've talked about this so much, it just feels like one after the other after the other, and it starts to feel like, oh, my God, is this going to be what the big, huge anchor of life now, you know? We're kind of past that point where it's not going to keep happening. Does that feel like that to you?
1: I feel like if anybody else knock on wood, in my family were to pass away, it would just be ridiculously unfair. I mean, it would be, it's almost like not possible. I mean, already when my nephew died, about six months after my dad died, he was 26. He died in a motorcycle accident. It was such a shock. It just felt so unfair. Also, um, his mom, my sister, who happens to be the sister I was just mentioning, she lost an infant 30 years ago. Mm-hmm how could the same person lose a ch- lose two children? You know, you've already lost one. How could that possibly be? It's just so cruel and unfair. So we already had those two passings. And then when my sister died, she died almost exactly a year ago, right around Thanksgiving last year. I didn't want to believe it. I don't think I'm a person who has problems with denial, but I really didn't want to believe it. My sister called me, my, my, my one full-blooded sister called me, said she'd seen something on Facebook. She said, I, I think, I think, I think Tia's dead. I was getting ready for school. I was, I was standing by the door. I was about to walk out the door, take Aurelio to school. And I was like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And she said, well, I saw some, one of her friends posted something on Facebook. It sounded like she was dead. And I and I said, well... And she's like, I can't get a hold of anyone because it was very late there where she was. It was morning for me. She said, I can't get a hold. No one's answering their phone. I can't get a hold of anyone. And I said, well, let me take Aurelia to school and then I'll call you back. And I just, as I was driving to school, I thought, no, it's not possible. It's a mistake. I didn't believe it. Sometimes I still can't believe it. That after, you know, losing dad and losing David, that we would lose our sister too. It just It just couldn't be. It just couldn't be. And... Two of my sisters, since then, lost their mother's-in-law. My closest sister, my full-blooded sister, lost her mother-in-law this week. So, I mean, it doesn't end, to answer your question. It doesn't end, unfortunately. As we get older, the people in our lives get older. I mean, you got to just hope that, you know, you don't have any of those sudden deaths, you know? Not that, not that a death of an older person is not just as painful and it's just as hard, but at least it doesn't seem quite so unfair. When my nephew died in a way, it hurt me more than when my dad died. Because my dad, you know, even though he wasn't that old, you know, he wasn't like 95 or anything, but he was an older man. He had a long life. He had a rich life. My nephew was 26. He was just starting his life. And of course, I was much, much closer to my father. But But I think I cried more for my nephew because I just thought this is so not right.
0: Yeah, it feels like they were robbed. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I feel that same way about Kirk. At 42, you know, with two small kids, it's you feel like you just got robbed. You missed too much. Mm -hmm. So, Um, Don't you think it's strange that we live in a time when you would find out about the death of your sister on Facebook? Well, I I, (laughs) I think about that too, because I think about when you're distant, There is so much of this camaraderie that happens on social media around things like this. That was certainly going on um, on Kirk's Facebook page. People were talking and posting old pictures of him and, you know, music and experiences. And of course, when he does die, it's announced there and the service is announced there. So people know, I mean, it is like this unifier. and, And if I had been living overseas or down in San Francisco, it would have been like something I clung to probably for any kind of information. I already kind of was, in a way. And, but it is strange, too, because it has these weird elements to it. You could find something out like that. There's just all these weird echoes around it, too. I know.
1: I, I, it sounds like what you were talking about with this Facebook page of your friend, in a sense, it was a positive thing. In this case, it was absolutely inappropriate to post that none of her family had been notified. I just can't even imagine why you would even think that was okay to post something on a public Facebook page. And I just think that's unconscionable. But you know, I don't know this person. So yeah, and she would have not known
0: probably, I
1: mean, I don't know, I feel like you would, a normal person would think, let me not post this public thing. Let me wait a couple of days until Mm everyone knows mm-hmm. i'm happy that my sister was the one who called me and told me yeah i'm happy i wasn't her
0: yeah you know she's the one who found out in that horrible way yeah it's interesting cuz yeah that was the same with susan was i found out from my friend lisa but lisa found out because she was seeing all these you know sorry for your loss messages to susan's husband and she just said <laughs> she told me it was actually one of her major regrets she said i just called him up freaking out just freaking out and she's like and as a friend of his i you know i wish i had it to do over because i would have been more compassionate you know about what he might have been going through but i had seen all this stuff and i was like what the hell is going on you know like why are people saying all this stuff because it was so shocking it was just it's a horrible way to find out something like that it is horrible I wish people were a little bit more careful. So should we lighten it up a bit? Yes, let's lighten it up for God's sake. Let's lighten it up for our last five minutes or so. <laughs> it is Thanksgiving. Heard any good jokes lately? Katie, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> know any Thanksgiving jokes? Uh, nope, do you? Nope. <laughs> Shall I look one up? Sure. <laughs> I'll look one up too. This is dumb. Tell me a stupid one. Knock, knock. <laughs> oh gosh, who's there? Norma Lee.
1: Norma Lee who? Yeah. See, it's dumb. Never mind. Forget it. (laughs) Normally I don't eat this much. Uh, Oh my God. That is
0: so dumb. Please. What key has legs and can't open doors? A turkey. That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, there's a real, um, there's a real need here for better Thanksgiving jokes. Yeah. These are awful. They're also predictable. I bet you could predict any of these. Why did the turkey cross the road? To get a side dish? Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, It's the chicken's (laughs) day off, of course. Ugh. Forget it. Forget it. Okay. Well, this isn't going to help. So what else can we talk about?
1: What are you doing this Thanksgiving?
0: We are flying to Palm Desert to visit my sister and my parents are going and my other sister is going and we are going to be eating turkey outside in the sun about 75 degrees and
1: that sounds nice it should be nice yeah great what are you going to be making
0: i don't think i'm making anything my brother-in-law gets super excited my sister said he already bought the turkey wow it's taking up her freezer right now wow 25 pounds wow so i don't think i'm making anything except maybe pouring a couple glasses of wine for some people or something he usually (laughs) likes to take care of the whole thing wow that's impressive i'm gonna be sitting around that's impressive every year
1: at thanksgiving i think to myself this is the year I'm going to do Thanksgiving dinner. And then as it starts approaching, I think to myself, do I really wanna do all that cooking on a weekday? Because here's the thing, we don't have the day off. We don't have the Friday off. So it's kinda like either you take a day off of work, but nobody else is gonna take a day off of work. So you're still gonna have to have dinner at night. And do you cook all day, Do do you do a potluck? Do you try to find somewhere else to do it? I used to do Thanksgiving every year. Big Thanksgiving bashes with like thirty people. Everybody brings something, and you get like a spoonful of everything. Those were fun. and but I'm not really in that kind of a social circle anymore. I have like fewer closer friends if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. If, you know, my close friends aren't doing Thanksgiving, very likely, I'm not going to do Thanksgiving cuz I mean I'm not going to do Thanksgiving for the 3 of us. That's not happening.
0: Well, of course, and and it it's only your tradition. It's not even Claudio. It's not like you and your spouse are an island of mm-hmm. of Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah. Aurelio actually has, now that I think about it, been to a Thanksgiving dinner, but he was three months old and he didn't eat anything. <laughs> that was the last time we celebrated Thanksgiving. And I miss it, though. I really miss it. And every year I'm like, this is the year I'm going to do Thanksgiving dinner. And every year, like right about a week and a half before, I'm like, Ugh. first of all, I don't have a turkey. Like, how, where am I going to find a turkey? I can just about manage to make sweet potatoes and a pie and a pumpkin pie. Like, that's what I can offer. I can't do the whole Thanksgiving, myself. It's just, it's just no way. It's
0: too much. Well, maybe you should just make
1: a pumpkin pie. But I love Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I really love it, and I really want my son to have that tradition. Like, I've made Halloween a very important tradition for my son because it's important to me that he understands the American traditions and the major holidays. We go all in for Halloween, but Thanksgiving just takes so much work. And but I really want him to have that. I want him to have that tradition. <sighs> I don't know what I'm going to do, but I do want to tell one kind of like cute little Thanksgiving story. Okay. This was my very first Thanksgiving after moving out of the house. So I was 18 years old. I was living in Boston. And actually, no, it was two years after, because I had my own apartment. First year, I was in the dorm. So the year after, I was 19. I had my boyfriend, but we didn't really have any plans. We didn't know if we were going to do anything. And I, we went to the supermarket literally the night before Thanksgiving. You can see like how good I am at planning. We go to the supermarket and I'm like, what should we do? Like, Maybe we should go up to the meat counter and see if they just have a piece of turkey breast and we could just buy that and we could just make a turkey breast, maybe make some mashed potatoes and like have a miniature Thanksgiving. So we go up there and I'm like, do you have any turkey breast? And the guy's like, you know what? This is your lucky day because we sell full Thanksgiving meals, everything already prepared, everything made all you have to do is heat it up and we had an order and the people didn't show up and so we can sell it if you want it we can sell it to. You. i want to say it was 25 bucks katie wow 25 bucks for a full size turkey a pumpkin pie cranberry sauce sweet potatoes mashed <laughs> potatoes and green beans and gravy and biscuits it was the full traditional thanksgiving meal and i was like you bet i want that <laughs> So we walk out of there with like a turkey. I don't know. I, we must have taken a cab home. We go in my little apartment and we call up all of our friends and we're like, "Hey, if you don't have Thanksgiving plans, you're coming over to my house." And so I go in the kitchen on the day of and like I basically the turkey's already been cooked. It's not even raw. <laughs> it's cooked. I just have to heat it up, and I heat up the green beans and I heat up all this stuff. Here I am, 19 years old. I. I'm much older than that now, and I still don't know how to cook. So you can imagine me at 19, and all of my friends come in, and they're like, Tiffany, you made this huge (laughs) Thanksgiving dinner. Like, how did you manage? I was like, I don't know. I went to the supermarket yesterday, and I just threw it together.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's really good. It was one of my greatest triumphs. The worst Thanksgiving dinner I ever had was the year I was living in Rome. Sometimes you just can't replicate it. You just can't.
1: No, you, you can't anyway if you're in Rome. You just, it'll never be the same as, as being back in the States. And I feel really bad that, about that Thanksgiving because I celebrated that with a friend of mine who we're actually not even friends anymore, which is what makes me even more mad because it was your only Thanksgiving in Rome and we had already committed to going to her place and she was complaining to me about how our, you know some of the other people who were coming were trying to like bring other people and she was getting really frustrated because she had it all planned out. And I guess that's my hint that I can't bring anybody. And I wish I had just been like, you know what? My friend Katie and her husband are here and they hardly know anyone. So they're coming. So you're just gonna have to deal with it. And I'm sorry. So I'm I'm officially sorry that I didn't invite you.
0: Oh, it's quite all right. We went to some sort of monastery type place. It would have been fine with the exception of I believe that the chef or the Italian chefs who were making the Thanksgiving had never tried it ever in their <laughs> lives. And why would they have? And somehow they mixed the mashed potatoes with sugar. Oh no. So you go for this big bite of mashed potatoes and gravy and it's sweet. It's like biting into chalky ice cream and it was so gross.
1: (laughs) I wonder if they got confused with like the whole idea of sweet potatoes.
0: Maybe, but it was just awful. You know, when you take a bite of you're expecting one thing, you know, it's sort of like if if you think this is a is a glass of water and it ends up being vodka, vodka. you know, you're just like it was like that basically that
1: happened to me once when i was a little girl this is another cute story just so that we can lighten the mood
0: okay we're ending with this beautiful cute girl story everybody take a deep breath happy thanksgiving go ahead
1: when i was about 10 years old my mom was in the living room drinking bailey's irish cream out of a champagne flute Mm. and i said mom why are you drinking chocolate milk out of a champagne flute and she said Instead of saying, "Oh, honey, this is a grown-up drink," my mom, who always liked to kid, said, "Oh, just because." And I said, "Well, I'm gonna have some of this chocolate milk." And she's like, "Just take a small sip." And I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> and I chugged the entire oh my God. thing. <laughs> that is... Yep. I mean, luckily, a Champlain flute doesn't hold that much, but it was like a big gulp of. I don't know. Is Bailey's Irish cream even a strong alcoholic drink? I don't know, but I was only about eight or ten years old. No, it's not. But yeah, I definitely wasn't expecting that.
0: (laughs) That's cute. And then she just got to laugh while you stumbled around for the rest of the night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: and that's why I have such a bad drinking problem today.
0: Yeah, right. And that's why I cry every night into my champagne. Oh, poor Tiffany. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a major drinker, although I've started drinking a little bit when I write, you know, a glass of wine, glass of white wine. I find it does help a little
0: bit loosens me up. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving or if you're not celebrating it this year because you can't or you don't want to. I hope you have a great Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Thursday, everyone. And until <laughs> next time. <laughs> and until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes. Subscribe to the show and pledge your support at patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast. And for goodness sake, interact with us on social media. Just search for the bittersweet life podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or send us an email at bittersweetlife@mail.com. That's bittersweet at mail.com. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, send us a letter there too. Our logo is by Jody Rick at the Lost Laboratory, with help from our muse, Caravaggio. Talk to you next week. Bye!